name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As has been said many times, at least in my house and probably in your houses today, happy Father's Day. I remember years ago, uh, it dawned on me one day that on Mother's Day, when I was growing up, we got this flowery sermon about how wonderful mothers were, and on Father's Day, the fathers got dragged through the mud. It's true. And the reason is because it's a man up here talking, and when a man is talking, we tend to see ourselves a little more realistically, perhaps, than the flowery speeches. Um, I'm not going to drag us through the mud today, but I mean, I'm, and like Jimmy said, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I feel like the Lord has given me something to share. And uh, unfortunately, last night, I will confess that I was preaching through the sermon last night, and I realized at midnight that I had way too much to say. <clears throat> so I stepped outside, and I I looked at the stars in the sky and I looked at the full moon and I remembered that God is God and my puny little words down here don't actually mean a whole lot. So I trust that he's going to talk through me today and we're going to have a good time and learn some things. So for those of you who, who if you wandered in here, or maybe you're visiting your dad and you're here and you've never seen me before, my name is Micah Beachy. I have been here, my wife and I will celebrate our 16th anniversary this week, and so it will have been 16 years that we've been here at the church. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about my family. Um, Psalm says that children of the youth are like arrows in a quiver, and a, and a man is blessed if he has his quiver full of arrows. I have my good friend Chris, who had the courage to actually tattoo it on his arm. I don't have that kind of courage, but I want to introduce you to my kids. We are an archery family, and this looks like a motley crew. Indeed, it is a motley crew. This is my youngest son standing in for my youngest son, Eric, who doesn't shoot bows yet, thankfully, or we'd all be running for our lives. This is my son, Eric. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Eric. Eric, my youngest arrow, is uh, missing a few feathers. He's not very made up yet as an arrow. Matter of fact, if you were to look at him as an arrow shaft, he would probably look a little bit more like that in reality. But I love my son, and I'm proud of my son. And you know what I love about him the most? How much he loves me. When I come in from work, he runs to meet me. The other day, he was literally dancing across the hopping across the porch, rubbing his hands together. Dietrich and I had just come up from work, and he said, Papa, Didi, and he's just, he just can't wait to hang out with us. So that's my son, Eric, my youngest. This is Serena, pink. This is literally her arrow. I, I stole one from all of the kids this morning. This is my daughter, and I'm very proud of her. Uh, she's very sad sometimes. She tells me, Dad, I wish I hadn't disliked you so much when I was younger. I literally had to buy kisses from her when she was two or three years old. But she's getting over that now, and she kisses me regularly. 
I love my daughter. Um, one of the things that she loves to do is to make fairy houses. Uh, and I'm, there's fairy houses everywhere in our yard anymore. It's wonderful. We color code our arrows because when all of us are shooting at a target, there's a lot of arrows flying. We've got to figure out who's who's. This is Joshua. Uh, Joshua is quite a kid. He, he doesn't listen very well when it comes to gardening, but he loves to garden. And uh, two years ago, he planted a big pile of popcorn seeds. And I mean literally a big pile of popcorn seeds. And I said, son, it came up looking like grass. I said, son, that's not, gonna, that's not how you plant corn. It won't work. And he's like, yeah, it will. I planted mine in rows, and I didn't get a crop, and he did. And ever since then, he hasn't listened to anything I say. <laughs> but he's a good gardener. You should see his popcorn this year. This is Jonathan. Jonathan is 11, and Jonathan loves mechanics. He's building what he calls a dragon wagon, which, thanks to Billy Love, I had an old riding mower that he's turning into a hot rod, and it's really cool looking. This is Jonathan. And this raggedy looking arrow here is Dietrich. <laughs> Made by Dietrich. Dietrich's my oldest, and I'm very proud of him. I'm proud of him because he's he has fletches and he's flying straight. There's some curves periodically. The arrow has to be bent back to shape sometimes. But he's flying straight. This is an arrow perhaps that you've never seen before. It's called a flu-flu. It doesn't look like a regular arrow. I bring it out to, to illustrate this. Sometimes we don't know what it is, why our kids are the way they are, but God has a purpose for it. This arrow is very specific. It has the big fletches on it to slow it down so that you can shoot aerial targets. It has a blunt tip on it so that when you're shooting an aerial target or you're shooting a rabbit in the bush, it's not going too far and it won't slide under the grass. All arrows. I'm proud of my arrows. And I'm proud to be their father. And we're going to see the same. So if you're turning to John, uh, if turning to John 12, I'm going to be reading, picking up from where Tuck left off last week. So we're going to start in John 12, verse 8. I am very sorry. John 12, verse 9. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. Now here's the context. Uh, Jesus is coming they're wondering whether Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem for the Passover but what has just happened is Lazarus who was from Bethany two miles from Jerusalem has been raised back to life and so the context is this convolution because there's a lot of people in Jerusalem that are uh, very stirred up by this latest, by this latest uh, miracle that Jesus has done It contains, in my opinion, one of the funniest, if you will, most pathetically funny verses in Scripture. We're about to read it. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. 
Uh, if you remember the story, when Lazarus is raised from the death, it says that um, a lot of the Jews from Jerusalem had come down to comfort Mary and Martha. And so they were actually there when Lazarus is raised from the dead. They were there when the tomb is open. They were there when the stink comes out. And they know that Lazarus is dead. There's no question that Lazarus has died and that he is now alive again. Some miracles... You know, they don't necessarily look so much like miracles. For instance, if somebody gets healed, there's always the skeptic that says, yeah, well, they would have got healed anyway. But when somebody is dead, and then they come back to life, and there's no question that that happened, that miracle is kind of incontrovertible. So here's, here's the situation. So it says, therefore, the chief priest decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting him and believing in Jesus. And that's what hit me this morning, when I was studying for this, is, what a foolish thing to say. This is a side note. What a foolish thing to say. Uh, it's like blowing out a magic birthday candle. It just keeps coming back on. If Jesus brought him back to life once, you kill him again. What makes you think that he's going to stay dead this time any more than he did the last time? But that's their, that's their logic. They hate Jesus so much, that's their logic. So let's go ahead and read through. I'm going to read through verse 36, and then we'll come back and um, hopefully tie it to Father's Day and a few um, thoughts on that. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival, um, I'm reading in the Christian, I'm actually reading in the Christian standard, but it's the pre-Christian standard. It was the original one, and it's a little bit updated. So if the wording is different, it's because mine is a little older. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see? You've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it, but if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that's why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said, it was thunder. Others said an angel had spoken. Jesus responded, this voice, not thunder, this voice came not for me but for you. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to signify what kind of death he was about to die. And then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the scripture that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? 
Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness does not overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Jesus said this and then went away and hid from them. So in the passage today, we have three... We have three groups of people. We have the chief priests and Pharisees who hate Jesus. We have the seemingly the rest of the general population of the Jews who want to see Jesus. They want to see Lazarus. They have this, they're excited. They're excited that Jesus, could he possibly be the Messiah? And you see it then as he comes in on the, on the donkey, they're all excited. And if you go back and look at that and how it ties to Scripture, there's no question that this is a Messianic thing. They think that they finally got a hold of Messiah. And then there's this third group, which is this hardly mentioned group of Greeks that come in and say, can, can we see Jesus? And they go to one of the disciples named Philip, who Philip and Andrew are the two disciples who have Greek names. So maybe that's why they went to them. I don't know, but it's possible. Um, and Philip comes to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, there's this group over. I mean, Philip says to Jesus, there's this group over there that wants to see you. And Jesus gives them an answer, which is absolutely off the wall and has nothing to do with what they're talking about, or at least it seems. That's the setting, that's the context. And from that point, I hope to get to something that we can take home as a Father's Day message. Now, I want to go back to my arrows for a moment. I have five in my quiver. Statistics tell us right now that 60% of the young people that grow up in our church will stop following the Lord in college. So I want to ask you this morning, 60% of my five is three leaving me only two. Now the question that I want to ask you this morning, I, I want to use this as an illustration because we can talk about statistics and it's abstract. But which one of my five, which three of my five do I want to give up to the world? Should I give up Eric? Because he can't offer me much any right now except for hugs. Do I give him up? Do I give up Josh? He grows popcorn good, but anybody can grow popcorn. How about Jonathan? There's lots of mechanics that don't love Jesus. I know a few of them. How about Dietrich? He'll do fine. Maybe I give up my only daughter. Fairy houses are cool, but does it really matter in eternity? The problem is, is that when I look at 60% statistics, do you know what I say in my mind? Well, my five will be okay. And I look in this, in this room today and I think, well, it's probably not 60% in here. But I wonder if we ran the numbers. I don't know. I didn't run the numbers at this church. But I wonder if we ran the numbers, what, how we would fare against those statistics. 
I, I don't want any of my five to be lost. When I get to the new heavens and the new earth and I get to experience what it means to walk with God face to face, I don't want to lose any. I want all of these there with me. Do you understand? It's a dilemma. Now, the reality is, is we're humans and God has given us free will and we can't ultimately choose for our children. But I want to talk just briefly about what it means to be a father from the Scripture. I love my arrows. And each one of them is different and each one of them is unique and each one is good for me to keep in the sight of God. There's three groups. I'm not going to use this as a whip, but I'm going to use it as an illustration periodically. There's three groups of people in this. The first group is the chief priests and Pharisees. And I'm breaking it down this way. I've titled it, He or Me, Following the Father Correctly. If you had to ask these chief priests whether they were following God, they would say, yes, we're following God. And yet when Jesus shows up, who is the son of Jehovah, they wouldn't honor him as God. I'm calling them a group that is openly rebellious. Now, what I mean by that is they don't want God's will in their life. And the problem is is that God's will in their life doesn't look right. They go to the scriptures and they see Messiah and they see him whooping up on the people, the Romans, whoever's in charge when Messiah shows up. But in the meantime, in the meantime, right now, the situation is Rome has given them a little bit of authority. And so the Sanhedrin can kind of control. But if people get to acting up and if there's a revolution in the country, Rome is going to come back in and squish them and they won't have any country at all. So they're defending what's left. But that's not God's will. God's will is change. God's will has, there's a new purpose here. And Jesus has come on the scene and his will is for Jesus. He is the Messiah, certainly. But his will is going to be a kingdom that arises that is going to control in a different way than it ever has before. This group is openly rebellious. They do not want God's will. They do not want God's way. And let me say very quickly, this is, sort of a, this is sort of a platform to work off of. I'm not saying that this scripture is specifically addressing these things. I wanted to use the scripture that we were going to be in and see whether God had something for us as fathers, and I think he does. But these three groups that I'm going to talk about, I really think apply to everyone in all of the world. Um, so whether you're a father or a son or a daughter or a mother or just someone that's here, you can categorize yourself somewhere into this group. So the first group is openly rebellious. They do not want God's will in their life, and they do not want God's way done in their life. The second group is what I would call, say passive rebellion. And rebellion is not the best term, but I couldn't think of a better one for it. They are the group that wants to see Jesus crowned Messiah. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? The problem was they didn't want him crowned Messiah after he had died. And you can see that at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, passage where Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw them in. And they're like, wait a minute. We know the scriptures. The scripture says Messiah is going to live forever. What are you talking about? They don't understand it. So this group wants God's will, but they want it done their way. They want Messiah, but they want it their way. Do you follow what I'm saying? That is a group that I think 
unfortunately, oftentimes a lot of us fall into. We want God's will in our life, but we don't want it enough to do it God's way. Then this third group comes along. Admittedly, it's a little sketchy, but I think we can pull it from it. Now, some Greeks were among those who went to worship at the festival. These Greeks are people who are not Jewish. Um, they don't have some of the same thought processes that Jewish people do, but they have an understanding of Jehovah as God. And so they're coming. They're going to worship Jehovah alongside of their Jewish brothers. But when they come and they hear about Jesus and they're like, wow, I think, this is what I think. Micah's perspective on it. I think they see Jesus and I, see, I think they hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead and they're like, wait a minute. That looks legit. That looks like God at work, right? And so this third group I've titled um, Open. They have humility and their desire is that God's will in their life is done in God's way in their life. Now, in reality, only Jesus actually represents that. And so, and so what we have is we have these three groups. So now I want to lay it out a little bit, and then I want to talk to you dads. And I'm going to say some of the stuff I'm going to say, please don't be angry. I'm going to, I'm going to ask some questions. I don't want anger. I want you to hear what I have to say. It is said that an empty barrel makes the loudest noise, and I, I added one to that last night because I was feeling it a little bit. Uh, a sausage casing makes the dullest noise because it's full of baloney, so I'll leave it up to you to decide <laughs> if I fit any of those two categories. <laughs> Each of those three represent a type of man. And this morning we're going to test you to see whether you measure up or not. Years ago, I was at Wilcox Archery over in, in Newport News, and a man came in there, and he had a set of carbon arrows with him. Uh, this, is a, this is a bamboo shaft here. He had brought a set of carbon arrows in with him. He bought them for cheap, and he asked the, the owner over there, he said, do you think these carbon shaft arrows are any good? And the man said, I don't know. Do you want me to test them? And he said, sure. So he said, okay. He laid one end on the floor, and he put the other end up on the edge of the counter. And he stepped on it. And it did exactly the same as Maya did. It broke right in half. Now this is a little painful to me because that was a brand new shaft. And it is worthless now. It's no good. I can't use this shaft anymore. And the man and I did about the same as you just did. <gasps> I mean, the guy brings his arrow in, and the owner breaks it right in front of him. And then he reaches over, and he pulls an expensive arrow off the shelf, and he puts it down there, and he steps on it, and it went whoop to the ground and snapped back straight. I couldn't tell the difference in those two arrows. Tom couldn't tell the difference in those two arrows. The owner of the one set of arrows couldn't tell the difference, but when you tested it, you knew whether one was good or not. So this morning, I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you to ask them of yourself and see, as fathers, where you fit. I'm just going to ask you, and if you splinter, don't take it up with me. See if there's something that you can do about it. Here's the three.
Sorry, my notes got mixed up. First one I want to talk about is the, the open rebellion. My will, my way. The Apostle Paul was in this group. He was actually in this group probably as this took place in the Gospel of John because he hated the Christians and he thought they were against God. And we know that because when Stephen is martyred in the book of Acts, he actually is right there in the middle of it and he's applauding them and probably throwing stones along with him. It says he was holding the cloaks for him. <clears throat> this group, when God speaks from heaven, only hears the thunder. Here's some questions. The question to ask yourself as a dad, if you are a person who, who uh, is a my will, my way kind of person, let me, let me just clarify that just briefly. I am not referring, I'm not referring to how you are, how you interact with your children. I'm referring to how you interact with your God. Because the fact of the matter is all of us are kind of two-sided, if you will. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, but he was the Son of God as well. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's a sense in which we, don't, we take for granted this two-sidedness. I am the son of my father, but I'm also the father of my son. And so on one hand, I reflect what my dad is to my children. And so I want you to look at yourself in relation to God. Does this, does this, this business of being in rebellion, does this, I want you to look at it from your perspective of how you view God and how you interact with God, because how that happens will reflect how you reflect God to your children. Do you, do you reject correction? Here's the first of the three questions for this one. Do you reject correction categorically? If someone comes to you and they have a problem with something, do you get angry at them? I was in Wakefield yesterday and I was pulled up to the light and, and uh, I mean, we're talking Wakefield, like there's not really anything going on down there. Somebody failed to leave the instant the light turned green and the person behind them laid on the horn in there. I can see them in the car. They're really telling that person something about themselves. But they're telling me something about themselves too. They have a hard time dealing with correction, whether it's just somebody not moving as fast as they want them to. Do you reject correction as a, as a whole? Do you get angry when somebody comes to you with correction? I'm not saying this is always the case, but is this, does this reflect in your life? Second question, do you fight with the authorities in your life? Does everything, does every authority in your life, do you lash out at them? My kids will tell you that there's some authorities in my life that I don't really like. OSHA, EPA, a few other things like that. But I've come to the conclusion that I've got to live in a world that requires some amount of authority and some amount of oversight, and I have to deal with that. Do you lash out at all authorities in your life? And then finally, and this is the hard question, do your children dislike you? Wow, that's a silly question. How do I know if my child dislikes me? Maybe ask someone else to ask them. I'm not talking about a child who's just my Eric. He would like anybody that held him long enough. I'm talking about someone who has to live with you. To live with an angry man is not a good thing. And it will reflect, and your children will be able to tell you that. Do your children dislike you? If those three questions are answered uh, in a way that reflects badly on you, 
The answer to this is to repent. I, I think that this person, hopefully there's no one in the room like this, but this person is going to tend to be someone who is simply not a believer and has never surrendered to the Lord. Um, but you will reflect. You will reflect a broken arrow, and you will reflect the image of God as a broken arrow to your child. And he's not going to want to follow. He's not going to want to follow a God who has a broken arrow like that. And that's the reason I'm bringing it to you is because I want us as fathers to be able to pass it on to our children. The second one is passive rebellion. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we are often, I think all of us are caught in this oftentimes. We want God's will, but we want it our way. Peter and Judas, it's actually very subtle. Peter, do you remember the story when they're, um, it's the, at the Last Supper and Jesus pulls the water out and he's going to wash all of his disciples' feet. And I guess all the rest of them let him wash, his, wash their feet. Gets to Peter and Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. Why did Peter say that? Was he, like, upset? No, I think he felt bad. Like, Jesus, you shouldn't be washing my feet. But what was Jesus' will in the process to wash his feet? Nah, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to climb in the tub. Was that Jesus' will? No, because he says, no, Peter, you're already clean. I'm just wanting to wash your feet. But you know, that's how we do things. Take missions, for instance. I know this because I feel this myself. We know that the church's mission is to evangelize the world. But we tend, I tend to do it this way. I tend to think everybody should go. Or I'm not going. I mean, I know this is the church's mission to evangelize. I know it's God's will for us to reach the world, but... Ah, uh, that's, that's not what I do. Both of those are, we, we accept God's will, but we don't want his way in our life. Two extremes. So here's the questions to ask yourself. And this one, again, is probably the most subtle and the most damaging in reality. First question, do you justify yourself when you're corrected? If your child came to you and said, Dad, whatever, this is something I see in your life, would you justify yourself? Well, son, you don't understand. See, when, when you're 43, you'll know that this situation looks different than it looks when you're 15. See, the reality is, son, I am so much holier than you that I can actually sin a little bit and get away with it. That's what you're telling them. It's true. Now, that looks like passive rebellion when I read it in here, but you know what your children see as? What does it look like to them? It looks like hypocrisy. Don't tell me how to live my life. You're not doing it either. Do you avoid some scripture passages because it makes you uncomfortable? Yeah, let's not read that Sermon on the Mount thing because whew, it says things like loving your enemy and uh, blessing them that curse you. doesn't talk anything about cursing those who cut you off in traffic, but I think we could probably cover it in there. Do you avoid passages? Are there things in scripture that you're like, hmm, yeah, that, that Titus 2 thing. Maybe I better stay away from that one. That thing about husbands loving their wives and giving themselves like Christ gave. I better stay away from that one. Don't exasperate your children, fathers. I better stay away from that one. And yet we come to church, and there's this sense that we want to do God's will, but we don't want to do it the way he wants it done. And our children will pick up on that. And when you say to them, when you say to them, this is what God wants, from you. You know what they'll say back internally? 
when I see it modeled in you, and I know that you're serious about it, then I'll get serious about it. And so what happens is we raise a generation of people who come to church with us, and they look good because they know how to be looking good. They know what to say. They know all the answers. Believe me, I have them in my Sunday school down there, and some of them are amazing, to, to say the least, and will happily tell me all the answers, too. But it never gets real to them. And so they grow up and they go off to college and we've lost them before they ever left for college because they never had anything to begin with. The final question is that that child, that person, the person who wants God's will but is not willing to have it God's way, ask, your this, ask yourself this, do my, does my child disrespect me? And when I, what I mean by that is not does he sass me off periodically. When you go to tell your child something and you see in their eye a lack of of respect towards you because of what you're telling them and you can look and you can turn right around and see in your own life well of course I of course they're not going to listen to me because they can see that I'm not doing it over here that disrespect that comes you have lost the ability to speak into their lives the last group The last group wants God's will and they want God's way. And in reality, Jesus is the only one. We don't really know that much about the Greeks in the story, but in reality, Jesus is the only one that actually represents this. And this was something that hit me about three weeks ago. Dietrich and I were out in, in, in uh, Newport News, um, and the, the job was over for the day. And I called our chiropractor, and I said, hey, can we come by and... Uh, get a chiropractic treatment. Sure, it'd be nice at the end of this day. So we went by there, and Dietrich is a knife maker, and he had one. He had his latest knife with him, and so he brought it in, had it in his backpack. And when we got done with our, our uh, chiropractic treatment, this guy is a good friend of mine. And I said, I said, Dietrich, show, show Dr. Eric your knife. So he kind of sheepishly pulled it out and showed it to him. And Eric's like, that's beautiful, you know. Hey, you could make money at this, blah blah blah. And we have this grand conversation. We get back in the car to leave, and this is where it got interesting. Dietrich said to me. Thank you for bragging about me, Dad. And I thought, well, duh. I mean, like, proud of him, right? I said, well, of course I would brag about you. He said, well, I'm glad you did because he said, I, I don't want to brag about myself. And he said, you, isn't, you're not, you didn't make the knife, so it's not like you have anything. And I said, no, that's not true. I said, your glory is that you made the knife, but my glory is that I made you. And I suddenly, I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, that's what Jesus was talking about all those times. He said, I only do the will of the Father. And those three, there's three times in Scripture that the Father speaks from heaven to Jesus. And what does he say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And here in the passage, Jesus looks up and he says, Father, glorify thy name. And the Father says, I have glorified it. Why? How has he glorified it? Because Jesus, his obedient, humble, 100% God's will, 100% God's way, son is walking down there, and he's proud of him. And he's about to be even more glorified because his son is about to do the ultimate thing and go to the cross. Not, and Jesus says, he says, I don't want this. He says it in the passage. Mama, my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that's why I came here. Glorify your name, Lord. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And I'm telling you, 
that broke open a whole nother thing for me of seeing what it means to be a father and a son. Now, I'm proud of my sons, but I'm proud of them not just because Jonathan makes dragon wagons and Joshua makes popcorn and Serena makes uh, fairy houses and Dietrich makes knives. That's not why I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them because they are obedient sons, sons who are becoming straight arrows that I am confident will shoot straight one day. The other things are the extra glory. Does that make sense? If, those, if that obedience, if that, if that underlying truth is not in place, the rest of it is fluff. Yeah, it's cool, but it's not what I love. And so, as fathers this morning, this last group, there's first, it's my, it's my will, my way, or God's will, my way. And the last one is God's will, God's way. And this is the group that I want all of us to be a part of. Can you receive correction? And this applies, you ladies can take it as well. All of us need to think about this. Can you receive correction? If someone comes to you, do you justify, do you get angry, or do you hear it and see if there's truth in it? Do you read the scripture with a desire to see truth, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it is to deal with? I'm going to be like Jesus. Do your children respect you even when they disagree with you? Because children are going to disagree with you. There's things that I disagree with my dad on, but I still respect him because of his consistency in his belief, because of knowing that what he says he is, he is. Does that make sense? I don't want to have to force my children to be... I would, I would willingly have them all think the way I think. Don't get me wrong. But I know better than to think that that's going to be how it's going to turn out. We're humans and we have different opinions on things. So if you find yourself in that camp, continue holding fast to what you've been taught. Continue passing on the faith. Now, I'm going to close with this. All of us, somewhere or another, are in all of these, are in one of these categories. And it may be, and I think it's fair to say that there's, we can probably have a part of our life in one and a part of our life in another one. I think that's possible. Then Jesus begins to speak, and he says the weirdest things. And this is where, if you're in that last category, this is where you'll find yourself sometimes. The Greeks say, hey, can we see Jesus? And Jesus says, my hour has come. Jesus, I really need you to heal my mom. And you know what he says? My grace is sufficient. He makes weird statements, and he makes weird statements for a reason, because we have to be broken inside to understand that it's Christ on the cross in all of these categories that make a difference. If I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to follow my Father correctly, and I will have to in order for my children to follow me correctly, then I need to know how to follow him correctly. And this is what Jesus says, and, and this, is, this is profound. This doesn't need any explanation. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains by itself. My, the popcorn at home on my counter, sitting in the jar, will never grow. It will stay popcorn. It may not pop after a while, but it will still be a seed there. It will never grow until it goes in the ground. And if I give it to Joshua, it will produce much fruit, like the Scripture says. If I get it, it may may not produce fruit. 
But unless it dies, it remains alone. And I think this is where our problem lies sometimes as fathers, is we don't want to die. We like our lives. We like our way. We like our will. And we don't really want to give up the things that make our children see Christ in us. Because it's only in our death to ourself that Christ is actually glorified. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life, for my sake and the kingdom, Jesus says, will find it. And then... So he says this. He says this to, I don't know if the Greeks are there. Maybe they hear him saying it. I don't know if the whole crowd hears him saying it, but he says this to them. And in an agricultural society, they get it. And then he says, and if you're my servant, you're going to have to follow me all the way. And then he says, hey, I got a bad time coming and I'm worried about it. But what can I say? I came for this thing. And so I'm going to go forward with this thing because this is God's will and this is God's way and that's how God works. So, fathers. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you found yourself or you saw yourself at all in that, in, in any of those three categories. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe you hear me beating on a sausage casing. I hope not. I hope that you could find something to take with you to, to mull on, to think about, to ponder. Is this something that I need to deal with? Is there a part of me that wants God's will but is not willing to submit my way to it? And I, that probably sounds a little cliche. That probably sounds a little open-ended. But the reality is, is it's open-ended because it's a concept that can be applied to every moment of every day of your life. Are you willing to fall on the ground and die and let fruit come out, the next generation come forth? Because I really think that the 60% that we lose is probably because they're not seeing the reality of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, like they should in the church. So if all of us work together and practice doing His will, His way, as fathers, as mothers, as brothers and sisters in this body, our children can't say, oh, that church is full of hypocrites. Our children can't say, oh, my dad, and he said this, but he was this over here. And when we block off the ways of escape, we give a little more credence to the truth. Is that, is that a fair statement? And we can move forward because it is, it is a burden on my, hand, on my heart that we're losing the church. We can evangelize another group all we want, but if we lose the children every time, we're still losing the church. Now, that's heavy. That's dragging the dads through the mud again, and I don't want to do that. So we're going to close the service today. We're going to close the service today with uh, a reminder to ourselves that all of us fail and mess it up and get it wrong in the middle of all of our getting it right. That does not mean we don't try. That does not mean that we do not put our lives into the ground and die for Jesus' sake. But we have uh, tables in the back. We have tables up front here. And it is, as we have done so many times before, we drink the wine, the grape juice, and we remember the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, do it. He said, do this because this is a part of this business of being a part of my body.
And honestly, how many of you growing up thought, that is so dumb? I want to take a sip of this. And this is somehow supposed to do something. You know what it does? It takes your child. It takes that arrow that's bent a little bit. And you take the arrow to the master arrow maker and you say, see, look at the master arrow maker. I keep getting them crooked. I keep breaking shafts here and there. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And we point our children back to one person who 100% lived. 100% for 33 years. I can't even get through a day sometimes, ever, without messing it up. And one man who said, until I come back, I want you to do this. I want you to take little regular ordinary stuff and remind yourself that it's me. He said, take the grape juice and drink it because that's a reflection of the blood. That's a reflection of the death that occurred so that life could be made in you. Take the crackers, which don't taste bad, don't really have any taste. And when you're eating it, remind yourself that this represents me smashed to pieces. This represents death, so life can come out. I think it would be marvelous on a Father's Day if the fathers, uh, if, if you're a father here and you want to do it, I think it'd be wonderful to just bring your family, bring them up, and you serve your family all the way around, and, and maybe even look at them and say, say something to this effect. Just say something like this. Son, daughter, I, I get it wrong, but he didn't. And so when I get it wrong, don't look at me, look at him. Don't let me skew your image of God. And I'm going to do better next time. By the grace of God in me, by the life of Jesus in me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to continue working forward to being like him. So come, um, if your father is not here, or you just want to come on your own, whatever, help yourself. Um, but let's take some time and let's celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us. Many, many years ago, for me it was many years ago, about 20 years ago, I had a friend who called me uh, one evening. Her church was going to be having communion the next day, and she was, in a, she was just tore up. She said, I am not worthy. I've got, there's things that I haven't conquered yet in my life. I'm not worthy. And that was the night that hit me so hard. I'm on the phone with her and I said, oh my goodness. I said, Rena, that's the whole point of this thing. That we haven't got it yet. And one day, I don't think in heaven we're going to have to do this anymore because we will be sealed in righteousness and we'll be with him. And whatever is at that point, 
will be for his glory forever and ever and ever. And I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I tell you, I am leaving here today with this resolution. My desire is that all five of my arrows will be with me and my wife. Whatever is on the other side of this, however God works it out for eternity, that's my desire. And I hope that each one of you leave today encouraged. Go back home. Figure out how to get some, some arrow bending and arrow shaping going on. Love on people and let them know that the master arrow maker is still in the business of making straight arrows. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.